Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're glad you're here with us tonight for the podcast, episode 55, Crazy for Kinexis. And special guest tonight is Jeremy Thompson. Uh, many of you know him from his passion for Kinexis, and you'll find him on Facebook and other social media as the Kinexis Cooperative. So we're really excited to ha um, have Jeremy on tonight. Uh, we brought him on as we wanted to connect uh, to an effort that we are getting underway with the African Colonial Institute. The Turtle Room uh, will be starting to get into Kinexis conservation in the African country of Cote d'Ivoire. Um, so we're going to bring that up a little bit more later. Uh, for now, welcome, Jeremy. We're so excited to have you tonight. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Anthony and Kevin Minto, as usual, uh, thanks for joining us tonight, guys, as always. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so traumatized by the last time we tried to use this this platform. And, um, yeah, and then we started the call tonight before we went live, and nobody could hear me. So I'm a little traumatized. So uh, I'll get over it. I'm already feeling myself getting over it now. Kevin, how are you? I'm awesome. The, uh, the headphone jokes are already coming in, so I'm looking forward to those all night. <laughs> those poor people that braved that entire thing the whole time, and then we deleted it, and they must have felt like it was a bad dream. Like, did that actually happen? Yeah, they or couldn't find it. Did I imagine? Right? They wanted to tell their friend, like, you should see these bozos who tried to have this internet podcast. Uh, here, let me get the link. Right? <laughs> Just kidding. You dreamt that. Just kidding. Yeah, so we're really excited to be here. Um, it's cool. I, I just had Ralph Till up to visit my place, which is cool because he's from, like, you know, far away from me. Um, and he came up to visit um, Chris and then came up to me. Um, and Ralph is somebody who we talked about a million different times, right? And he um, – what's that for, Kevin? You're mad he didn't visit you? Where's the invite? Uh, he, <laughs> it was a very last-minute thing. He's like, oh, yeah, I actually will be there tomorrow. Okay, great. Um which is fine. Ralph always has an open invitation, as do the rest of you guys. But um, anywho, uh, we were talking about specialization, and he's someone who he's a big fan of Jeremy's, and we actually talked about Jeremy a little bit. And, and Ralph is that type of person too, who you have to respect the people who kind of know what they like and aren't caught up in all of the other stuff on the periphery that they could try to get involved in. You know, focus on one thing and do it really well. So with that, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about what you do with uh, everyone's favorite uh, hingeback tortoises, the only group of tortoises that have hinges on their back. Yeah, so uh, Ralph Till is actually a great person to initially bring up in that because he's someone who definitely, he's supportive of me, but he also got me started uh, as far as focusing in on like one group. So I was working uh, with quite a few different species and a little bit all over the place, as, as well, well as, as working, working with some Kinexus. And um, it, as we may talk about more later, my trip to South Africa really narrowed that for me even more than before I went there. So seeing what Ralph did with Egyptian tortoises and uh, continues to do, was definitely a neat inspiration in what I'm doing. Do you find that um, 
what do you keep besides pinback tortoises at this point? So I have a few redfoot tortoises, mainly from Marissa. <laughs> so my wife loves the redfoots. We've had them since I started with reptiles, period. And then I have a group of impressed tortoises, and those aren't here at my facility. I put those out on loan as I focused in on Kinexus because I didn't want, you know, two African species rooms to also have an, a sensitive Asian species here. So that's all I'm keeping right now and have a few other projects that are out on loan, but really what's here is just Kinexus and some red foot tortoises. Awesome. That's wonderful. So you're really living it, really living it. For sure. Yeah, can you can you speak a little bit to that? Like um, the there, I know that you have kept other things, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's a, a as, as we kind of already alluded to. I think that it's a, a, an impressive, deliberate decision to kind of go down that road and really focus your efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it so important to you? You don't have to answer why it's so important to Ralph, but I'm sure it's important to you too. So, from a personal standpoint, why yes. um, why do it that way? So. Initially, it was a desire to want to do what I felt at the time was focusing in on conservation work, which I now feel is uh, preservation work, and I do feel there's a difference there, and I know you all have talked about it before. And in that, it was working with a lot of different things and having mild success all around rather than really focusing in on something, dialing in, husbandry and incubation and diet and all that stuff on one group of tortoises. So I think for me, it took that focus in order to get um, the most out of Conexus. So the most being some success hatching different species. Also me having the desire to go and be in country doing some field work and I think having a smattering of things I probably wouldn't have jumped at that opportunity I would have just seen it as something that oh yeah that's neat and that's not my thing and for me really since I started with reptiles which started when I as soon as as early as I can remember with snakes I always had a bunch of different things going on so it's really learning the lessons from my past and realizing that if I'm really going to succeed with these, they're a bit tricky and especially succeed with wild caught animals and establish them properly and work with a vet and quarantine and all that stuff. I needed to part with other animals. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's really admirable, and it's great because it's what's best for the animals, and that's what I think is most important. So we, I think I've, I've been I've been on the record as saying that I think that we all find we gather information to try to support the support our our selfish reasons for wanting to do what we want to do. So so we all want to keep animals. Everyone on this, everyone watching this, for the most part, like if you're drawn to us in any way or our podcast, then you probably like to keep animals. 
And um, there's a lot of animal people out there that are not on this page and probably would not ask unless they're five minutes get upset. Vote for Trump. We're not going to be watching MSNBC that much and vice versa. The other side is not going to be watching Fox News that much. So um, when you're trying to justify what you're doing, um, I think it's easy to just say, hey, this is okay for this reason. This is okay for that reason. Oh, no, they really don't need that. Like, I'm saying that all the time. Like, when I'm raising younger animals, I make the argument with people all the time. Like, they don't really need all of that UVB and the large enclosure and, like, get the glass out of here because it's more stressful for them. We talk about that stuff all the time, right? Um, what you're doing is basically saying, look, almost like from – I spoke to someone at the – um, at one of the zoos, one of the AZA zoos, and they said basically that keepers should really think about, and even the zoos as well, should really think about um, quarantine and, and you know, trying to reduce the risk of cross-contamination mm-hmm. on, like, a much higher level. Like, you should have a separate room for every species so that things mm-hmm. are not crossing over at all. And mm-hmm. you're doing something that really touches on that. I'm sorry that I'm saying this in such a verbose and long-winded way, but you're doing this in a way that other people are not. Mm-hmm. Um, the ninety-nine percent of keepers are not. You're so focused in. I think that's really cool, and that's yeah. better for the animals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think on the um, there, is, I, yeah, I agree that there is some, um, yeah, selfish, if you want to call it that, aspect of like, yeah, I want to keep turtles, and that draw to Conixus is the challenge for me. I definitely love a challenge, and I think for myself, Conixus is ends up presenting constant challenges, whether it be establishing a wild-caught animal, trying to figure out incubation, tweaking diet, figuring out why an animal laid a bunch of eggs last year and laid only a few eggs this year. And so that, yeah, self-desire is uh, definitely the challenge when it comes to Conixus. And on the other end, it's, yeah, making sure that things are done properly so that I have success with these guys and they don't just perish in my care because they tend to do that. It, it does sound like your journey has been kind of similar to what Anthony and I have experienced as keepers, going from oh, we're keeping cool turtles towards the conservation side. And, you know, admittedly, some of our projects are more preservation than conservation. And then trying to keep refining things. What went wrong last year? What went right this year? You know, all that learning stuff that goes into it. It's uh, really impressive some of the things you've been able to do, especially focusing in on Kinexus. And I think there's something to be said for being an expert in a small amount of species, um, because we, we need those people who can be go-tos for, uh, for a, a particular group, uh, of related species that way, um, that knowledge is there all contained as opposed to somebody just having a few little bits of everything and maybe not being all that great at any of them. Yeah. And I say when I'm asked, you know, how I'm doing what I'm doing or what am I doing? It's. 85% in my opinion 
um, I guess, parroting or mimicking what others have done. So, like David Mifsud, Will Ahrens, like two big guys when I first got into Conixis that, you know, made sure that I didn't kill them. And then it's 10% luck of just trying something out, it ends up working. And then 5% of really digging into research, maybe getting out in the field and getting a better perspective on things. And that is, yeah, yeah that, that makes up, I think, what I'm doing. So it's relying on how other people did it and then pushing it just a little bit further to get success with tricky species. I was just wondering if you were going to give us that last 5%. That was good. <laughs> Eight, wow. five, 10, 5, that was really good. That yeah. ended up 100 if anyone at home was trying to keep track. And missed I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. So just uh, to recap for everyone, we're here with Jeremy Thompson, who is a hingeback tortoise uh, expert and has been doing great things, uh, breeding them and keeping some of the re really rarely kept um, species in the genus. Um, if you're interested, uh, any of the viewers, please feel free to um, write in, text in, uh, snail mail, whatever you can do to get us some questions before we're off, before we're off the air. Um, there's a little bit of a delay, so jump on it right away as you're hearing this, and you can get your questions actually answered um, live uh, by Jeremy, which will be really cool. Yeah, we got to uh, go in already. All right, let's do it. All right, so uh, this was a question from Stephen Gallo Cifuentes. Do you grow your, do you grow your own mushrooms? I do not, but I have a local buddy who does, and so most of my mushrooms are from him some are store-bought and it really depends on the season so i okay. don't but that are locally grown so um just a funny little tidbit there are some pretty sizable mushroom farms within um, an hour's drive of of our headquarters here nice that's neat a lot of, of store-bought mushrooms come from pennsylvania <laughs> <laughs> Steve knows a lot about mushrooms, if you know. What I guess saying. there's a, I guess there's a lot of shit in Pennsylvania, yeah. <laughs> oh, good one. This is a family show, Kevin. I sorry, appreciate it. Sorry, keep, I, I apologize. Keep the four-letter four words off your vocabulary on our time, okay? I apologize, everybody. If there's children on, I'm very sorry. It won't happen again. Uh, the the second question is from Kevin Bratzi. Is there uh, a ah, Bratzi? He's back. He, back again. he remembers last week. Yes, he does. Uh, last, last month, excuse last me. Month. Is there a significant... No, not at all. No. Kevin's been Kevin's been having some mushrooms of his own, everybody. That's, that'll be all right. He's just trying to make it through <laughs> oh, the man. show. Oh, man. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> is there a significant demand for the species that you work with, Jeremy? Or is it strictly conservation-driven, or maybe both? Is there a big demand? Yeah, I'd like say... are people looking to purchase them? So... See, I was wondering if that's what, what he meant by demand, because I know one of the things, there is demand for them in the wild as food mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. particularly yes. in, at least with Homiana and Arosa. I don't know about the, the species that Jeremy is familiar with in the wild from his trips to South Africa, but. Yes, yeah, so I'll address both. So as far as the demand in the wild, there definitely is in South Africa and really for Conexus across continental Africa. And then there's one Madagascan as, as species. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And you'll see 
I have some Conixus arosa that are wild caught that have drill holes, and those are coming from a food market where they're tied up, um, and I'm glad to have them here now. Mm-hmm. And then as far as in the hobby, <laughs> if there's a demand, I would say that totally depends. It seems like there's quite a few people coming to me for animals, and unfortunately, it usually ends up being... Uh, wild-caught animals end up being what people purchase Mm -hmm. for the most part, and they're significantly cheaper and still coming into the country as far as Homiana, Erosa, Speckeye go. So there is a demand. I'm not overwhelmed with people looking for Conixus, and I'm also happy to hold stuff back, and I've done that or sent it to friends or colleagues or institutions that are happy to work with them. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see Spec Eye regularly at our local show. Um, mm. And it's every single time we ask, you're like, you know, how long have you had this for? He's like, oh, they came in this week. Yep. You know, and they're, they're like $50. Like, you don't expect the animal to survive that when it's priced like that and they're just brought in. Uh, and it's, it's just very unfortunate. Yeah, I see that here too, even out in Colorado, where when I lived in Florida, I saw a ton more of that at shows just because of the nature of it being Florida, but and all the importers and the climate and all that stuff. But even here in Colorado, I see spec eye. I have multiple Conexus that were found wandering here in Colorado that two different rescues that I work with uh, and Christine Light actually helped get here. So they're out here, two different Homiana and one spec eye that were just wandering about whether they escaped or were released or whatever in Colorado, but they definitely don't do well outside here. <laughs> well, I can imagine with your climate, um, especially with the um, extremes that can uh, occur in your climate um, in the spring and the fall, especially. Yeah, yeah. and the ex- extremes and the extreme fluctuations. Right, that's like, what I, I was thinking about the fluctuations, 81 day snowing mm-hmm. and 20 the next day. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, it was... 77 earlier this week and then <laughs> or earlier last week and then on Thursday it snowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, let's see. We have another one uh, from Randy Betts over at Torch Dork. You heard of that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Rings a bell. Uh, his question is how many individual species are you working with, Kinexus? So. I keep six of the nine, uh, so that's Lobatiana, Speckeye, Zombensis, uh, Nagui, Erosa, Homiana, and yeah, that's six. Good. <laughs> I was going to say six. Like, if you say one more, that's seven. I'm pretty sure I was counting correctly. All right, Jamie, so I'm, I'm sure that you know, but I, I want to throw it out to Anthony. What are the other three that he didn't uh, list? And I don't know, by the way, so you can make up word. I'll just believe you. I don't know. I could. Steve, uh, repeat the list again for me, Jeremy. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good showbiz. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, tell us which ones you don't have. So I don't have Beliana, and those uh, are illegal to import based on the tick. I don't have Dilmer UI, and those are the Malagasy Connexus, and then I don't have Natalensis, and those are endemic to South Africa. Okay. Now, the first one I understand you get, can't get imported, the other two, have you seen them available? Are you looking for them? So, 
I, they're all ones I'd love to work with. Uh, so being endemic to South Africa, I say this and some Shersina have come out, but being endemic to South Africa, I never expect to see Natalensis available anywhere. And then Domergui is the same thing in Madagascar. They're not, it's not legal to export them. So there was one big export that went to Europe a number of years ago, like 30 or so years ago. And there's one person that I know of, Tizian Cram, who is keeping them, breeding them, kicking butt with them. And I don't know of any others that are in a breeding group, and I know of none in the U.S. Those okay. things are amazing, right? Those photos are crazy. They are. They're, they're just like a star or spider tortoise that you never saw before. You know? Yes. Steve, do you have the ability to put one on the screen? Uh, I'm oh, trying to, to find a decent picture, but... Yeah. I'm just finding out the new tech, we can still do that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Jeremy, how do you spell that species name? D-O-M-E-R-G-U-E-I. Who's keeping track, right? <laughs> Can we just talk about the fact that's on everyone's mind that you keep and and breed, correct? This the species with the coolest species name of any turtle or tortoise. Zombensis. Zombensis. So, a quick search does not give me good pictures, so I will send you one. Yeah, shoot it over by email and I will pop it up. Okay. I thought he was saying he was going to send me a zombie. <laughs> yeah, uh, just got it. Okay. Yeah, you produced one recently, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? That's the coolest thing of all time. It is really yeah. neat. And uh, yeah, it was a project where I really part pieced animals together from yeah. a bunch of different sources over some time and flew out to around the country to drive animals back and yeah it's neat that egg incubated for 223 days it hatched it's actually like in that enclosure right behind me and it's thriving well, that's a sign 223 is my favorite number nice <laughs> i'm serious i have it tattooed on my leg it's a sign, you know. It's that it's, it's <coughs> gotta start figuring out how to get his offenses in my life. I'm gonna tell you, that it's a sign. It's a sign, Jeremy, that if you need a bodyguard, Kevin can move out there and guard you in that tortoise. Perfect. Of his life. All right. So that's all he has to offer. I'm a cage fighter now, right? Yeah. You look like it. Yeah. Keep sending those questions for Jeremy. We'll try to get. We'll get. We'll not try. We will get back to some more of them. So a couple things that we there were a couple other things we wanted to make sure we talked about tonight. Um, so the first one I'm actually just going to pop up here with my computer monitor is uh, hopefully you can all see this. I think it's working. Um, this is the newest section of our website. We finally completely re-updated the conservation section of our website. And so you can actually get a good um, cross-section of some of the major projects that we've got going. And we're going to be adding more information here. Um, here, this is our newest effort. Uh, along with uh, African Colonial Institute and a couple other organizations, we are um, doing some homes hingeback monitoring in Cote d'Ivoire. So um, there were several, I think the count was 16, um, Kinexis homiana that had been um, 
being kept at uh, Abidjan Zoo in Cote d'Ivoire. They had, I don't remember if they had been pulled out of a food market or I know they were confiscated from some situation. Anyway, um, they are going to be translocated into Izagni National Park in Cote d'Ivoire. And part of the plan is trackers will be put on four of those translocated tortoises and four trackers will be placed on native specimens to the park. And uh, we're going to learn about the habitat use and ecology of the native specimens and compare how the translocated specimens use the same areas of the park. Um, so if you hop over to our website here, you'll see some of the new stuff that's going on, some cool pictures from a project. Um, you can see our partners for this project over here on the right. And now something new is you can donate directly to one of our projects. So if you really love Kinexus and you think this Homes Hingeback monitoring project sounds really cool and you want to help make sure um, this work can continue to happen, um, you can direct a donation by coming to this project page and clicking on the Donate Now button and uh, fill out the rest of the form. <clears throat> That's wonderful news. Yeah. Um, awesome. Some future and so um, most of this first phase is uh, paid for, but one of the other things that we will be um, looking to do, oh, that's what I wanted to go to next, um, is if we can continue to, inc to get more funding for this project, um, eventually a uh, capture mark recapture study would be done to monitor the population growth or decline long term so then um, we could try to plan for conservation measures if necessary but we you need a lot more funding to do a project like that than the current um, part of the project which is estimated to take about a total of 18 months until the study is complete that's wonderful now when you say study so when it's complete what does that entail is that like a a paper that then gets published with the findings um, uh, it, I, 18 months would be probably when the research phase is done and then the paper would be written with findings after that point yeah that's wonderful that's awesome nice yeah on my end it's cool to see an organization getting involved in connexus <laughs> and then getting involved in them in their <laughs> native range so that's not something i'm seeing a ton of and that's awesome yeah um so um and this is another time to shout out to um tyler brooks and the richard and margene brooks family fund um tyler had approached us about donating some money to the turtle room and tyler is also really into kinexis among a couple other specific groups and um we have we have some other partnerships with african colonial institute already and um we talked to them and they said, hey, we have this project we'd love to do, but it needs some funding. And so we covered about two thirds of that so far. Um, so there's about $1,000 left to uh, cover as far as I'm aware, um, but it, it can, we have enough to get started and then worry about uh, the last third of it as we get towards, even get towards the end of 2020. It won't need more money for a little while. But if uh, you're really interested in this project, we could use some extra money for it. And uh, anything donated through this page, uh, because it's a directed donation, uh, we have to put towards uh, Holmes Hingeback. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, and I met Tyler last week uh, in person. He's awesome. I love that he's supporting that project, and I think it took a donor like that to step up to get something like that done. And it'd be really cool to see other folks in the community kind of 
put, put their, their money, money where their, their mouth, mouth is and support something like that. So good on Tyler. Yeah, Tyler, uh, I've, I've gotten to talk to Tyler a good bit uh, since June, and uh, I, he's uh, become a, a major supporter of the Turtle Room as well, and I, I really appreciate him for, um, for kind of stepping behind us as we mm-hmm. are in our first, as we were in our first full year as a nonprofit organization, um, so that, that meant a lot to me uh, personally as well. Um, in addition to what it meant for Kinexus as well. Wonderful. Um, while, while I'm here, another good reminder too is the 2020 Turtle Room calendar is available for pre-order. Um, I know most of you love this calendar. Um, you get it for a dollar off through the end of this month. You'll have them uh, at a little after Thanksgiving like usual. Um, <clears throat> In fact, Jeremy and I were talking earlier this week about maybe trying to get some really cool Kinexus photos into the 2021 Turtle calendar. So I was going to ask if there was any Kinexus in this one. No, no, not in this one. But uh, we, discussions are already underway to have some <laughs> Kinexus in next year's calendar for sure. I like the response. I like a very political response. Very good. Plug, plug this year, but I'm not buying any this year. <laughs> Um, and you know, we're right about in the middle of our episode. So it's the perfect time for a couple other shameless promos. Um, so we've actually added some new colors and formats to our t-shirts and sweatshirts. Um, we added a new color to our two color logo shirt. We now have a one color logo shirt in, um, hot pink and a purple color. I saw Uh, that. We have a sweatshirt, one color logo now. They come in all sorts of cool colors. We've added a couple extra colors to our two-color sweatshirt. We have long sleeve t-shirts now. We didn't have those before. Um, so they come in black and, and this nice baby blue. Um, and we also have knit hats for nice. people who live in places like uh, Denver, where Jeremy is, or up here in the Northeast, where, where Anthony, Kevin, and I are. So we've got knit hats. Um, any orders that are placed before the end of October, I um, can nearly guarantee we can fill because this is a pre-order period. And after that, I'm going to have to try to estimate what might sell and then kind of order a smattering of sizes and colors in. So now's your time to get all of this, um, all these great new colors in our shirts and this awesome new calendar uh, for a dollar off on the calendar, remember. Sweet. I need a beanie. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag I need a beanie. Hashtag I need a beanie. Is that it? Is that all of your shameless plugs? That is all my shameless plugs. And I'm sorry you guys couldn't see that, but I don't share it through Skype. I share it through the software that goes right out to the, right out mm-hmm. to our audience. So the audience did see it? The audience did see it, yes. That's all that mattered. I was a little concerned. Again, everyone there with us, if you're watching and you're realizing that there's a real ridiculous echo or you can't hear Anthony or are frustrated by the fact that Anthony speaks in the third person, anything like that, go ahead and send your thoughts into us and let us know because we thrive on that feedback. And, you know, we're, we're in the infancy stages as, as far as the um, the new platform. And Jeremy's great to be here with us tonight and to Thank you. so and brave to, to know that it could end up like it did last time. So... So I now have these pictures Jeremy sent me up on the screen. Sorry, guys, you can't see them, but all of our viewers can. 
Oh, so those, so those are uh, Tizian's. So those oh, you can see oh, Tizian's. Yeah, I can't see it, but I sent the photo, so I oh, know okay. that. Yeah, so that's those are his animals. Those are his production. Those are all captive-born animals. It's yeah, a group of 2018s, one 2019, and some 2015s, I believe. So these are in Europe. Yes. Now, what's stopping you from importing these? From um, he's building a group right now. Really, oh, he's not selling any of them. No, no, he's not. Uh, like I'm working with him. He's an awesome dude, and right now it's just getting getting some of those under his belt. I mean, he's already produced a decent amount of them, but it's. Yeah, making sure that he's got his colony set up there and that other people there have colonies set up before he sends it across the pond. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Really awesome. Kevin, I could hear your child screaming in the back. Me too. She's upset. Yeah. Because she's missing Jeremy. I don't She just wants to watch Creative Galaxy and Jeremy. That's it. I can't figure out anything else. Right, right. Didn't say he was on Prime, you know? That's too bad. That's what we get for having a heartthrob on the podcast. So hey. before we get back to some more uh, viewer questions, Jeremy, you had said you really wanted to talk about your time in South Africa. Yes. Yeah, so last year in March, I went with David <laughs> Mifsud to South Africa. We met a friend of ours, Paul Rabiega, and he's South African. He took us around, I don't know how he did it, but he took us around for three weeks. We were in Conexus range for two of those weeks and were able to find the four species that are in South Africa, which would be Speckei, Lavaziana, Natalensis, and Zombensis. And going into that trip, for me, it was really, yeah, I want to see the species in their range. I want to observe them and see what is going on as far as their habits, their what what are they eating, and taking notes of that, as well as sorting out at what temperature are they active, and stuff like that. So it wasn't any formal research, but it was really going to just observe them, try to find some, and I think that it changed the way that I look at what I do. So going into the trip, I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing conservation. I'm going to get groups together. And that in the future may be the case. And that would be really neat to see animals go to something bigger or go to back out in the wild one day. However, right now I see it more as just preserving what we have here, making sure that while there are groups coming in, meaning while there are animals being imported, people are setting them up. They are having success. They're establishing those animals so that they are around. Where someone like Will Aarons, a friend of mine who has worked with a lot of different species and had awesome success, gives me perspective on, say, pixis or spider tortoises, 15 or 20 years ago where he could readily set up groups and you know they were coming in or Cora for example like the Asian box turtle groups and at the time he was like eh like 
you know, there wasn't that same draw. And then as they became harder to find, fortunately, he was able to set up roots still and produce a bunch of offspring. And so I kind of took that as a lesson as well, coming from South Africa, seeing them in the range and seeing people collecting them, seeing people selling them on the street, seeing properties that are all fenced. And I think that's one thing I didn't expect. I expected to see collection and consumption and all that stuff. And then, you know, habitat being destroyed for charcoal or for whatever they're planting. However, I didn't expect to see populations fragmented by fencing everywhere. So every piece of land that we were on was fenced and it's fenced to the ground and it's electric fenced. So any animal, I, I have a bunch of photos of conixes that were conixes as well as leopard tortoises that were essentially killed on electric fences because there's all kinds of big game there. There's all sorts of small creatures there as well, and people are fencing in the big game to protect really from humans, and that ends up meaning that anything that's trying to cross that dies. So... Talking with a friend of ours, a friend of David and I's, who's in South Africa doing work with some of the tortoises that are native to the Cape, her point of view was the fences are really doing a lot more damage to populations than people give the fences credit for. And if, you know, a critically endangered tortoise is a male is on one side of the fence and the female is on the other. Um, those are not animals that are ever going to be able to continue their species. So, yeah, it was shifting my mentality from currently conservation to preservation, and then the conservation side of what I'm doing would be donating money to a project like you all are putting on for Homiana or a project in South Africa that I know about as far as field research goes. So... Uh, they're definitely in some trouble, and being able to see that in person, <clears throat> yeah, brought more light to that than just reading a document and saying, "Oh, they're in trouble." Being a tortoise person really does make you a pessimist, doesn't it? It's the saddest thing. But it's, it does. Do we get into this because, and I, I talk about it all the time in the veterinary field, like people get into it because they love animals. We get into this because we love turtles and tortoises, but then you find out pretty quickly when you turn the corner and go past just like the superficial keeping a pet turtle in a tank or whatever and learn more, do any research, and you realize, wow, this is really sad. Yeah, and it, there was an aspect of the trip that was pretty depressing. So, uh, and I think that was good for me. So, um, obviously, it's bad for Kinexus because it's depressing because they're declining and they have a ton of risks. One being, I mean, the fencing I don't see changing. And, um, yeah, there's a depressing aspect, but it also kind of lit a fire under my butt to say, I'm going to dedicate everything that I have to this genus. And that's the journey I'm on. It's so cool. And we talked about two selfish reasons, too. Like, you have to love the fact that you're becoming the Kinexus guy, right? Like, that's that's a cool thing, right? Yeah, it's cool. It's a bit weird. Um, and 
I think the one thing that I don't necessarily love about it is that uh, I don't think I've been doing it long enough to have every answer to questions that people ask. So there's, you know, people who have connections that reach out and say, hey, what should I do in this scenario? And it's usually like passing them on to someone like Dave or me reaching out to Dave and saying like, oh, what do you think about this? And, you know, I have the first F1 that I produced from animals that I established was this year. So it's a Conexus Arosa. I purchased animals as fresh imports, worked with my vet to get them established and produce uh, offspring. And that being one year under my belt, I think, yeah, I'll know more and be more of a help to the community as time goes on. But definitely cool to um, yeah, dedicate resources, time, energy, love, all that stuff into a genus. And then the community support it. The community has been massive in helping get lone animals paired up, whether they're here or other places, in supporting me in a bunch of different ways. So that's been ultra cool to see. Yeah. I think uh, this brings up an important point, and I love your modesty, and um, but what you're doing is really important, and obviously you haven't been at this at, you know, as long as other people. There are people who have been working with, like putting a ton of effort and time and resources into this genus since before you were born, since yep. before I was born, and um, obviously it, we, I take nothing away from them and their efforts and their knowledge. But that doesn't mean that you can't be knowledgeable too. And I think there's a different wave of of like millennial keepers and educators and stuff like that who are more social media savvy and are more out there. Um, and again, if we're going to talk about the value of like conservation versus preservation versus education and where the low hanging fruit is, like education is easy. It's something that everyone can do. We've talked about this a ton of times on, on the podcast. Um, but I mean, you're, you're getting out there, you're, you're, um, you're sharing what you're learning and what you're experiencing, what you're observing with your animals. And that is so valuable. So for, if anyone is going to say, oh, well, he doesn't know, you know, it's okay to have different opinions. It's okay if someone else knows better than you do because they've been at it longer, but that doesn't mean that you are not an expert. As far as I'm concerned, you're a 100% Conexus expert and you're the most out there person around that genus. So um, I encourage people to go to you and um, just know everyone that he's a busy guy and he's got probably countless people asking you Conexus questions. For sure. Okay. We email, so, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think what you're doing is great, and you shouldn't um, downplay that at all. Not that, that you are. Just being modest. Yep. Great, yep. But, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's, the, it's going back to, like, the 85% that I feel is the history that was there for me when I grabbed the ball, and then the 10% of trying different things. There's... Uh, as far as incubation goes, South Africa was actually really neat too because while I was in South Africa, uh, my wife Marissa was taking care of the collection. Shout out to her. <laughs> and <laughs> she was, yeah, she was taking care of the collection and collecting eggs and I was incubating them in an incubator at the time and was not having good development. And 
when I came back from South Africa, I weigh all of my animals every month just to keep an eye on them, especially like with wild caught animals, with young animals, keeping parameters on where they are. And I noticed that two Homiana females had laid eggs based on their weight loss. So I knew they were established animals. Mm -hmm. They actually came from Ben Forrest, which I know is a turtle room guy, and he's awesome. So he established them in 2003. They've been with me three years now. And I knew they they weren't crashing. So I saw the weight loss and said they must have laid, dug up two nests, and... All of those eggs, I think it was a clutch of three and a clutch of four, all of them were, uh, yeah, developing. So thank you to Marissa in, yeah, that's the luck part of figuring out incubation. And right now I'm incubating in a chamber, basically that's an enclosure where I collect eggs, That's that enclosure sectioned off and I rebury them in order to incubate the eggs. So that's like a stumble upon neat finding. And I know some people do hatch them in incubators and all of mine are coming out of that system. Now, do you find that um, this gives you a better hatch rate and or uh, more, um, more stronger, heavier or more active hatchlings? I would say not having hatched uh, them out of an incubator prior to doing that. Okay. I can't speak. I, I, I got animals as hatchlings from people. So that's my only comparison as far as from an incubator and this way on how they thrive. And I'd say they're hatching out with almost no yoke. They're rocking, they're growing fast in this method. So I'm happy about it. And I forgot your other question. <laughs> no, that, 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 um, that makes sense. That, that's that's good. I was just wondering because that's something actually you mentioned Ben. That's something that is one of Ben's theories that I completely forgot. We talk about borrowing, yes. Uh, you know, from the from the people who are more experienced than us. That's that's a theory of Ben's that I am one hundred percent behind. Yes. That, and I I have three incubators here, and I may incubate like a hundred eggs in a season, and maybe only five of them touch an incubator. The rest are all just on a shelf or on a floor in the garage, in the basement, just wherever, you know, gives the best temperature range. And then I just keep checking them periodically if it gets cold and I'm checking the eggs that might be, you know, in danger of getting too cold where they are. And then I move them. If it gets hot, then I check the ones that are in danger of getting too hot and I move them accordingly, you know, if, if need be. And just kind of learning what the range is and providing them a nice fluctuation, um, you know, to, to kind of develop naturally and then like you said they come out just ready and yep. ready to go and no yoke no yoke left and and heavy and and voracious so that's yeah. as your experience as well yeah and the other bit was just uh uh hatch rate and i yeah. again i can't compare it but my hatch rate is good and good being above 80 percent on eggs laid for Conexus, that's quite good, and that's speaking with ha- having, fortunately, Ben's records on the females of how many eggs were laid when for the past more than 10 years. Talking to David and talking to Will about what their hatch rates were, like that's I'm doing well as far as hatch rate goes. Awesome. Um, I do have some questions that I missed 
prior, so I'll get those asked now. Uh, Tom Arbor, uh, what should anyone that wants to keep Connects be prepared for? Great question. So if some, that is a great question. Thanks, Tom. Mm -hmm. I'd say if it's a wild caught animal, be prepared to have to do, I would do your research ahead of time for sure. Uh, most of the questions that I get are from people who picked up an animal at a show or locally or something like that. And then they're saying its eyes are closed. It's crashing. What do I do? And I think a lot of it is husbandry and then it's having a great vet. So if someone wants to get in, into Conexus, I would have an awesome vet that is willing to work with you. I would research as much as you can and ask the people to ask on that species. And I would also be prepared to spend good money on making sure that animal does get established. So a homiana that's wild caught may be $50 and you may spend a couple hundred dollars getting it thriving long-term. And then as far as captive born, I'd say a vet is maybe a little less needed, but I still think having a partnership with a vet is huge. So quarantine the animal, regardless if it's captive born or not with Conexus, I choose to house mine individually. That's actually something that I got from Ralph Till. So other people are keeping, were keeping Egyptian tortoises in big groups. And he said, I'm going to keep them separately for a bunch of different reasons. And I find that mine do better individually. So be prepared for those sort of things. That's great. That's so great. Especially when like people are buying these wild caught adults who are freaked out, dehydrated, struggling in every way you could think of. And then they're 40 bucks. They're 25 bucks. They're 65 bucks. Let me just buy this group. And then I'll have an enclosure for them the same way I've kept whatever other species fill in the blank. And now they're just sitting there. Um, it's funny. I was talking to someone who's a, a really knowledgeable source on turtles and tortoises, um, particularly turtles. And he was talking about the days when people were bringing in Spangler eye and in, in large numbers and people would just buy a bunch because they were cheap and they're small and you throw them into these group enclosures and all of them would just die except the last one in your group. <laughs> yep. And then you're like, well, I think I figured it out now because this last one is doing really well. So let me buy some more and then they would all die until there was one or two left because now you have this larger enclosure with this animal that's not as threatened all the time by the presence of, you know, just think about being dropped into like a, a room with a bunch of other people with, you know, after all the things that they're put through, how stressful that would be just sitting there, um, you know, with a viewing window, that would be pretty stressful. For so, sure. You know, yeah. So I think that's really great. That's 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 awesome. Uh, next, I have from Andrew Hermes over at Arizona Tourist Compound. Uh, is Jeremy looking to add any species of hingebacks? Also, if someone had something they might want to give him for his breeding program, uh, how could they get a hold of you? So, I'd love to. Uh, next year, Marissa and I are moving, and we are going to be able to expand what I'm doing here. So she's in her master's program right now, and we are tied to this location for now. So next year, I'd like to expand what I'm doing, and I would be likely setting up 
groups of all of the species that are available here while they are on top of what I have now. Uh, and right now, as far as adding animals, it's Arosa, captive born, because I have good groups of wild caught for the space that I have. And then any Zombensis, because I have seven total here now, and ed each additional animal is significant to that project. Labatziana would be amazing. If there are any out there, let me know. <laughs> and then, yeah, the ones that aren't in the country would be cool, but I'm near capacity for the space that I have right now and have a certain standard for being able to quarantine animals in a room that's not... We're in my hatchling room right now, so these are all captive-born animals in here. And then in the other space that I have, that's adults or wild-caught animals. So the third room being a quarantine room. And within my parameters of space, I'm close to my limit. And I would always... Yeah, I'd make room for an animal that's significant to conexus in the united states and as far as getting hold of me it's the conexus cooperative on facebook it's jeremy thompson on facebook and then at conexus coop or co-op c-o-o-p on instagram and those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me and in the past two months seven-year-old captive Ornarosa popped up and someone donated those to me a couple different, two different Zombenses popped up and those were donated to me. Uh, a couple different Nagui, because I'm looking for some males, popped up. And those are all significant. So I was super appreciative. People have been supportive and that's kind of where the community comes in, where they really backed it. But the community awesome. needs you, right? Like, like I, I wish there was four more of you because there are there are a lot of them out there. Um, maybe not Zombenses, but there are many of them out there and you know, they need a champion. That's, it's a genus that needs a champion in so many ways, not just taking them in, but just educating and breeding them and everything. It's, it's a yeah. wonderful thing. Thanks. And yeah, so for something like a homiana popping up, like I said, here, two have popped up and one spec eye in Colorado, and those came here. So it's not, I'm not, not going to make space for, you know, homiana or spec eye. However, those animals I'm going to establish here, and at least right now, one of the male homion is going to go on loan to somebody, and those animals will long-term after quarantine, which is six months for me, um, are going to go to a different facility. But as far as animals that are going to stay here in my collection, for now, that wouldn't be homion and spec eye, but I'm happy to help establish something and send it elsewhere. That's awesome. So you mentioned moving. Are you still going to be in the Denver area when you move? or? Yeah, so we'll be in Colorado. We just want to move somewhere where we have a little bit more land and can expand to something bigger than this and have uh, – Anthony mentioned someone bringing up to him a different building for each species or a different room for each species, and I'd love to at least have, like, a Rosa and Homiana in a room. Um one room separate from Speckai, Labatiana, Zombensis, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting room for things. You know, I always think about levels because I keep some aquatic stuff and some, you know, 
semi-aquatic terrestrial stuff. So all the stuff that's really aquatic is down below, and then the other stuff's up above all that stuff because it, you waste space for aquatic stuff. Otherwise, you know, if you try, you can't do too much on top with aquatics; it just waste too much. For sure. So it's interesting to think about uh, different rooms for things, uh, even by species. I normally think of um, when I think of different rooms, I think of climate more than species necessarily. But yes, I agree. And in that, it's in my room. I'm meticulous about uh, like I use gloves right now, like rubber gloves, disposable gloves between enclosures, and meticulous about. Okay, I'm going to start with. Mm-hmm. The most established spec yep. eye, and even though I'm changing gloves, work through all of the spec eye until I get to the most recent one that was added to that room, and then go clean, clean up, and then move to the next species and that sort of thing. But them being all in the same room isn't ideal. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really dedication because. Like for instance, uh, we're all married. We're all married. I know for a fact my wife would not allow me to have four rooms. I, you know, I have I have one turtle room right now, and that's that's asking a lot because you got two little kids. Just takes up every space is needed, you know. So it, it's pretty great that you're able to dedicate that much room to it with your family. For sure, and yeah, the shout out earlier, Marissa's super supportive of what I'm doing and has seen me grow into this over the past couple years so yeah it's huge having having a supportive spouse is always huge yes agreed dude i feel you know you mentioned you know she's you you almost hinted like she's become more supportive as you've grown into more conservation and preservation side of things and i would say the same thing happened in my experience with if you know with my wife like the more we got into conservation the more supportive she's been because she's it's it's bigger than just um you know just kind of breeding a couple tortoises you know i agree definitely my wife made me move towards that stuff. I was having a conversation with my friends one day, and she's just like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean by do? Like, you just, just like turtles? Like, that's stupid. Like, okay. She was certainly thinking of, like, what she could, you know, brag about to her friends, or at least not have to feel stupid about what she told them about her tall, hairy boyfriend. You're like... Like, because she she would hear me talk about things because I'm into turtles. So, like, con- conservation comes up. I don't care who you are, but if you're really into turtles, yep. no matter what your project is, you're going to talk about how rare turtles are and conservation and this and that. Um, so, I just I was kind of all over the place at the time, and she basically said, like, why don't you do something more like what you're always talking about? And then that's when I got spider tortoises, and everything kind of changed for me with that project. Um, but it was because of her. That's so, awesome. She's been more supportive. And then she got less supportive again when I started having friends from all over the place who wanted to talk to me about turtles. And then I wasn't talking to her because I had to make a phone call to somebody <laughs> in Florida or something like that. And then she came back around again. It's a roller coaster, our love, you know? Andy, that's the real reason I don't call you on the phone because I don't want to deal with Shannon being mad at me, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, she knows you, so it's good. And yeah. you, you keep it light when you call. And you're always fast. I don't know if it's because you're a phone guy, like, by trade, and, like, you know about all that type of stuff. But you're just, like, sometimes I want to talk to you, and you're, like, on and off the phone in, like, four seconds. We can just get a video chat. I'll do that for an hour. I can't. I'm about to I don't, ask, I don't like, like doing this. I'm about to ask you a question, and you're, like, okay, bye. Yeah. Okay, love you, bye. Like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. So, 
we have a request for Jeremy to speak about the Connectus meetup at TTPG in November. Yeah, so we'd like to, and we being, yeah, just whoever's talking about it right now, which is Tom, whoever wants to come, yeah. anybody interested in Connexus, we'd like to get a group together. Uh, David and I are speaking at the TTPG conference on Thursday, and Thursday evening we'd love to get some people together to talk Connexus. <laughs> I'd love really to know what species people are interested in, what are you working with. I know on occasion people don't want to disclose what they're working with, and that's cool. I get it. And really it's, oh, this female Nagui popped up who has a male sitting around that they could really use this female and being able to send that animal there. And then also using that time to talk about things that are happening in the field with Connexus and how as a community can we support them. There's uh, a, a woman who's doing some field research in South Africa and really being there and talking to two turtle gods in South Africa. Um, their perspective is the people who are just keeping turtles in the U.S. are never going to really support field research. It's not going to happen. And I'd love to shift that so that we are supporting things that people who are listening to this are supporting things like the project you have going on with Homiana and not just saying, oh yeah, someone else will contribute or an organization will contribute. I think it's important for people like myself to contribute to those things and anybody else that just keeps one Connexus. It's like everybody throwing in a little bit is huge and that's another thing that we want to discuss when we meet up is how can we start supporting these things and who is able to throw 50 bucks at something like that yeah. and having it more organized where it's, you know, a central location where we're all saying, okay, a thousand dollars needed to be donated. Like, how are we getting to a thousand with the people who are sitting here right now? Like, let's figure that out and do it. So, um, the conference is a cool time. I haven't been, so I'm excited to go, but it's going to be a cool time to meet people face-to-face -face who I haven't met before. I could just take this moment just to say, if you're on the fence and you've never been there before, it is absolutely wonderful, super laid back, um, tremendously knowledgeable people walking around everywhere. There's not enough time to meet everyone you would want to, which is a great thing because then it just makes you want to come back in the future. Um, it's where the Badiger magazine is. Uh, first makes its appearance every year where it's unveiled every year, um, which is really cool. This year is going to be a large issue um, that I had the pleasure of proofreading for Russ this year. Um, I've done for the past few years, um, and this one is great. It's, it's, it's huge, and it's got a lot of really cool information that you won't get anywhere else. Um, and yeah, the, the speakers are just tremendous. The amount of people and the amount of, of amazing knowledge that's shared at this conference is tremendous. So if you're on the fence, you're not sure, get there. You won't regret it. Um, and Jeremy, I know you're going to love it, man. It's, it's, it's great. And people Anthony, are going to love you. Are you going this year, Anthony? I am not, no. Steve? I, I wish. It's mid-November, remember? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do this again. I get tired of – so many people ask me, are you going? And I get tired of repeating myself being like, well, no, it's like the worst time of year for a teacher. TSA is the perfect oh, yeah. time. It's during the summer. 
go to both <laughs> I wish. for the people who are out there go to both yeah. and as far as anybody who wants to come join us there to talk Connexus and to get all that sort of thing <laughs> sorted out, contact me, contact Tom. Don't bug David or he'll shoot me for saying that. <laughs> uh, but con- bug me or bug Tom Arbor and uh, let's figure out getting a time together to do that. I love this. I love this little. Yeah. I love this little Connexus cooperative that we have exists in existence now i love you guys <laughs> i do um, jeremy i have a question for you you were recently on a uh a fairly big youtube channel mm-hmm. video um blake's blake's i forget what it's called exactly blake's exotic animal ranch yeah yep. i watched it the other day it was really awesome have you got like an uptick for people reaching out to you after that video aired things like that i have um i you know, it's. I think it was a neat opportunity to shed some more light on Conixus. It's mm-hmm. uh, also a neat opportunity, I think, to shift YouTube channels in general who are focusing on animals and focusing on turtles, because that's what I'm into, to doing more content that's education-based. So I'm really happy with the education content that came out in that video and think that I mean, I've had great response from people from that video. And yeah, it was him reaching out saying, I'm going to be out in the area. Like, can I come film? And I said, as long as we're doing a Conexus episode. So <laughs> um, yeah, more people reaching out. And I'd love to do you know, more videos over time myself on getting specific things answered for people where I can send them a video and say, this is the answer to your question rather than uh, typing it out each time. And that's just reaching more people with that rather than, you know, individually answering questions. Yeah. We should, we should collaborate on that. Sweet. Yeah. Kevin, I- Kevin is our video person and, and yep. you could send him footage and we can host the video so that you get I'd it. Love to. Well. Sweet. For how many how many YouTube subscribers do we have? Ten k. Fifteen thousand. Is it more than that, Kevin? Now. Uh, nineteen point one thousand. Twenty k. Dang, that's awesome. So and and there's they're hungry for good content and they haven't been getting it from us lately. So if you I want know. to, right. Besides so, the podcast. Yeah, you've touched on some really great things tonight, Jeremy. Um, and you know, m- talking about like there's a need for some Kinexus work to be done. And that was kind of something that we identified. And I know ACI has been wanting to do that particular project for a little while and mm-hmm. they were waiting for some funding to make it happen. You know, um, it's, they're not as in the front of people's minds as some of the other species are and things like that. Um, so one of the things that our board actually identified as one of our principles, so to speak, was to kind of fill some gaps in conservation and education between organizations whatever and so that's kind of one you know we thought that was one way to do that in some way was get involved in that project and um we've talked about trying to get involved more in kinexis um you know in, in captivity as well um uh, we've got some animals at andrews and chris's and ben's that you know they all really like the kinexis stuff as well so um kinexis is definitely one of the areas where we're trying to put a little more intention into for sure and finding ways to keep working uh to grow a relationship with you and um i think uh 
combined forces could uh, possibly provide an even bigger result. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think it's the Kinexus Cooperative name. It's something that a friend of mine, Will Espen Shade, was in huge support of uh, based on the fact that it's it needs cooperation. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the cooperative, generally a cooperative is like a bunch of members coming together to get something done. And it's <coughs> that's needed. So right, I agree. with the work that you know I'm doing, it's not something that I can do myself. And Anthony said, like, we need more people doing this. And I totally agree for Conixus and all turtles. And I'm going to hold that flag for Conixus and say it'd be sweet to see a few other people make room for Conixus at their facilities or I would say dedicate to Conixus because I think to have success with the trickier species like Erosa or Zombensis or Labatziana, it takes that. Uh, And I'm looking forward to seeing where, yeah, the... Um, umbrella of the Kinexus Cooperative goes in collaboration with folks who are interested in doing that. So that's good to hear. Yeah, it's been refreshing to hear how how important that is. Uh, you know, the the collaboration aspect is is to you um, this this evening. Some you know, there are people out there who kind of talk about it, but it, you know, it doesn't really show. But you can you can tell how passionate you are about working and collaborating with other folks. Yeah, and I think with. I won't share a name, but with someone who I recently added another bloodline of Kinexus Arosa, that's Captive Born, and that animal came to me from an organization hearing about it, telling a friend of mine, that friend of mine told me, and then I took on a few of those animals, have half here, and sent half to a friend. So it's like that collaboration is massive in not only getting them here where i hope to produce f2s and f10s one day but also in the hands of a friend so the bloodline isn't just here so and not having any qualms about sending it down there like oh i'd like a few more arosa here like it's not that mentality of having it all here is definitely not what i'm interested in and i'd love to send hatchlings to people who are interested in working with me to do something bigger that's That's awesome agreed it's a great outlook well i mean it is and it's one of the things that anthony and i've talked about for how long now anthony the importance of collaboration right decade yeah i mean it's in we put it in our mission statement like Mm -hmm. it's in a decade we're getting old yeah Mm -hmm. we are yeah so I'm our newest, old. maybe our newest collaborative partner is Kinex's Co-op, huh? Woo! I think so. Did we just I... did we just become best friends? <laughs> we should. So many more. We room. haven't yet. <laughs> I... So much more room for activities. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I feel like uh, like there's oozing potential here as we've talked all night long, which is really oh. kind of fun, and it's one of the great great uh, great things that comes out of having a guest such as yourself join us and. Um, Share your passion with uh, all the people who are watching live, and there will be several hundred watch uh, watch later as well. So sweet, and um, I... really glad you were able to join us tonight, Jeremy. This has been an absolute blast to to get to know you and your passion for these animals, uh, your passion for collaborative uh, conservation and preservation. Um, 
just just really great to have you on. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. I'd love if I have a second to show a Kinexus while I'm on. Yes. Please oh, give me just one gloves. second. Going for the gloves. Got to make sure you keep it right in front of you when you get it since your camera's blurring out the background. Okay, I will. Cavity search time. <laughs> he reached the back of his teeth. Do you remember that from Beavis and Butthead? No? Okay. No. Okay. I figured I figured if anyone would, it would be Kevin, not Steve. All right. In a big, so, uh, no. Hopefully you can see this. Oh, this yeah. is a Conixus Zombensis. This is that hatchling that's hanging out behind me. Oh, my gosh. That uh, thing wants to kick your butt right I now. I love it, man. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So that's a little Zombensis. I hope I'm to hatch some more. Yeah. Now, this is a rock star species right here. This is this animal is ridiculous. This is insane. So these are found in mainland Africa, but aren't isn't there also like a small group in uh like us like off in uh, Madagascar? Yeah, so that's uh Conexus domergui and it's, you know, in the it's a subspecies that's split off as domergui. Okay. So it is a similar looking animal. The thought is that they were either brought over that they were brought over to Madagascar and established many years ago. And it's really neat to see. I forget who commented on it, but in a recent Domergui post, I saw someone mention that it was interesting to see how Domergui changed to being way, looking way more like a spider tortoise or um, like a planicotta as it's been in Madagascar exposed to all of the things that are helping those tortoises look the way that they do or evolve the way that they look. And, you know, the difference in a Zombensis compared to Duomergui that was shown a bit earlier is huge as far as the actual color and the pattern of the tortoise. And then as far as size-wise, they're also much bigger. So it's kind of neat to see that shift once... Kinexus got to Madagascar in, you know, how they ended up turning out. That's so cool. Yeah. I've been on the record as saying I really do, I feel like Planicotta are as close to Kinexus as they are to other Malagasy tortoises, just from my, just in my, morphologically in my own mind. It's just what nice. I see when I look at a flat tailed tortoise or, uh, Pixis Planicotta for anyone keeping track at home. Awesome. I have one more, and then I'll stop showing torts. But this is a little Homiana. So, yeah. Born Conixis Homiana here. So this is a species that's still coming in. I highly, There's people producing them. So, like, Kurt, Ed Kurt Edwards is producing them. David Mifsud. There are a couple other folks. Ben Forrest uh, and... I'd love to see people support those captive-born animals that people are hatching, where uh, Kurt is sending his animals to people who are going to set them up who might otherwise choose uh, wild-caught. How old now, is that tortoise? This tortoise is a little under a year. Under a year, yeah. So yeah. this is the thing that people have to understand. So a lot of times, Ben and I have talked about this at nauseum in the past. If people want forced-in tortoises, they want to buy the wild-caught imports because they want to start with adults because they want to breed them. You buy hingebacks, you want to buy adults because you want to breed them. But, I mean, that animal is not even a year old, and it's huge. That I mean, any, any idea how long it takes before, uh, for a, a hingeback to produce its first ova? 
Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the two that I would have experience with are Spec Eye and Homiana. And that one is big, but Spec Eye grow so much faster. Spec Eye grow like weeds and fed similar amounts of food on a similar schedule. And I have a three and a half year old female that laid a total of 10 eggs last year that, were, that were all infertile eggs. This is her first year. But that animal is like perfectly wild looking smooth, like a super healthy animal. And now this year, I'd hope that she might lay some fertile eggs. And then for Homiana, I have a five-year-old female that David produced, uh, David Mifsud, that laid a total of three eggs that were also infertile. However, it was her first year. So, awesome. you know, it's not that much time investment for somebody grabbing uh, captive-born animals to raise them up, spend five years and do it. If you're working with something like a mountain tortoise or an impressed tortoise or a pixis, you have way longer to wait. <laughs> yeah. I've got nine years in without an egg on the spiders. Dang. So, yeah. yeah. It's okay. It'll be that much more sweeter when it happens. It will. So, yeah. It's, it, that's, that's about what I've got so in with my barbers, isn't it, Ant? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I know, man. Old. That was like yesterday. Whew. Uh, Jeremy, what would, on average, um, well, two questions, actually. Uh, on average, like, say the the homiana you just had, um, what would a captive bred homiana go for, roughly? Or like 250 is about okay. where I'm seeing them from myself and other people. Yeah, so if you think about it like this, people are buying the wild-caught ones for, like, 60, 70 bucks, you know, they're going to go through that just getting one to live. Yeah, and somebody who's setting up five or six i definitely like come down and that's based on the fact that that person in my eyes is gonna have a viable group so yeah. someone taking one like i don't want them to go as a pet i want them to go to somebody who's already got a group and it's just adding one more bloodline where they're only taking one or two animals or someone who's gonna set up five different bloodlines from captive born animals from myself and someone else and get them going that's awesome yeah. Okay. Uh, my second question was, uh, what is, is there like a big difference in clutch sizes? You were saying like one female gave you like nine eggs or eight or nine eggs, they only give you three. Yep. Is it just age of the animal or you're seeing it between different subspecies that there yeah. is a, uh, a big? Yep. So essentially, uh, Homiana lay fewer eggs, Arosa lay quite a few eggs, Speck I lay quite a few eggs. So it's between the species. It depends how old the animal is, and then what I've seen as well as seeing um, Ben's records, it's animals that are, um, you know, set up and producing a lot one year, and then the next year the females have expended so much energy they're laying fewer eggs. Okay, gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for joining us. Um, we are about an hour 20, which is uh, – probably pretty good we'll leave the viewers wanting to have you on again for sure um when you said you're going to south africa again um when i'm looking to go at the end of this year so dates aren't okay. set yet but i want to go back there and get back out in the field all right after you're back we'll have you on again we can show awesome. off some pictures some video talk about you all sorts of cool stuff sweet i look forward to it all right let's uh, and let's keep in touch man i think we got a lot of fun things we could talk about too Perfect. 
All right. Um, thank you very much uh, for joining us, Jeremy, Ant, and Kevin. Thank you so much for being here, as always. This, Happy to be. Um, this was a great night, I think, and a, a great launch of our new uh a real launch of our new tech and I, I like having all four vo faces on the screen for the viewers as well it's really kind of cool so thanks for being our test dummy Jeremy um, it's been we've, we're really grateful that you're willing to get on with us this month um, so one last reminder folks calendars t-shirts and Kinnix's conservation hop right on that Holmes Hingeback page donate to that project thank you Tom Arbor for getting that rolling with the first donation through that form. Thank you, Tom. Thank Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Three, three cheers for Tom. All right. All right. I'm going to click the hang up button and, uh, or not the hang up button, the end stream button. And all of our viewers will see you in, uh, on November 4th for the next episode. Have a great night. Good night, guys. Deuces. Take care. <laughs>